Hello, this is David. Hey, this is Shiloh. And this is... History by the Century. <laughs> All hey. right, thanks, Shiloh. So who do, who do we have on the show today? We, we got a special bonus episode. This is a special edition, yeah. We have a guest with us. Uh, man, none other than... The Mike fa- Smith. Yes. And yeah, so he is another history enthusiast. And so we're not, are we covering a century today, Shiloh, or what What are we covering? No, we're not covering a century today. We are covering the Roman army. And, you know, it's always nice to um, to understand something, to compare it with something else. So I believe we're also going to be talking a little bit about the Greek phalanx. Is that right, Dave? Uh, yes, I so believe so. We could say that we're kind of going over Roman army, Greek army, comparisons, but... Uh, what else, Dave? Anything else you're gonna focus well, on? Wh- why don't we Why don't we talk to our guest here, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll see what he has to say. Sounds good. Okay. Sorry. No. Hey. So. So, Mike, welcome to uh, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. So you're a, you're a fan of history as well. I, I am indeed. Unfortunately, uh, it's hard to find anyone else that shares that interest, <laughs> and thus the reason I'm here tonight. <laughs> Oh man, man we well, are glad to have you because isn't it true, Dave? We've had a hard time um, talking to our friends about this. Isn't that the common problem that we have when we want to tell our friends about why the Roman phalanx or why the Greek phalanx and the Roman legions? You know, why one was better than the other, and and when we try and pronounce things like cynocephalid, how's it? I, I believe <laughs> I cynocephalid. Yeah, cynocephalid. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. Oh yeah. So uh, anyway, well, Mike. So we. Uh, I was just going to ask you about the the Roman military. Why you know we got three people here that are interested in Roman history or just history in general. But so why why was the Roman military so dominant? Like why did they beat everybody else? Uh, there's a few things. Um, first of all, I probably would start with the fact that they used professional soldiers. So a lot of the nations that they fought against, they had a more of a warrior culture, or it's something you're raised to do, and you have to fight. Uh, a certain way, but the difference with uh, Rome uh, using professional soldiers meant that they were dedicated uh, just to warfare. That's what they were trained for. That was that was your main job, rather than it was something you did in the summertime uh, while you're waiting for your your crops to finish growing, or you were a part-time farmer. Early in the history of the Republic, they were um, they did uh, recruit farmers um, and just people in general. But uh, at the peak of the empire, that was when they really started to uh, focus on making sure that this is the, the only thing that these guys were focused on. So they tried to recruit between the ages of uh, 19 to 25 uh, where possible to make sure these guys were career military men. And they offered them rewards down the line, too. So initially, 20 years service got you a land grant and uh, you could pick it wherever you want in any part of the empire, retire on that and live pretty uh, well off, and then eventually that was increased to uh, 25 years. Hey, that's so nice. And Mike, I got a question for you. Now you said that from they're looking for someone, you know, from the age of 19 to 25. Would they just take anybody who is like, okay, here's here's any old 19 to 25 year old, or did they have any kind of um, were they a, a little more picky about it? Uh, yeah, there's there are some records of specific legions where you had to be like a certain height um, to be in that legion. Oh, um, one of them actually. I wouldn't want to be in the short legion. <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. There could have been. There could have been 
an infamous short legion. Wow, Dave. Oh, man. I'm, I'm not going to go any further than that. I'm going to stop Well, right you would want to be the one tall guy in the short legion. I mean, because that's a good way to get <laughs> shot. <laughs> yeah. It's like what, one guy's one head above everybody else. <laughs> it, it'd be hard to cover that guy. And he'd yeah. actually probably be a pretty good target as well for everyone else to keep them safe. But yeah, yeah so yeah, there, there was there was one specific legion. Um, I forgot which emperor it was, but he wanted everyone to be over six feet tall, and he did manage oh, wow. to fill it. So it's pretty interesting. But in general, uh, historians don't think it was something that was strongly adhered to because you know, the recruiters came from uh, the recruits, and the recruiters were all over the empire. So if you had a quota to fill, you probably let a few short guys jump in there as well or someone who may not be physically fit too so that's all they were looking for just young uh in shape and uh and a decent size um vertically um yeah it, oh sorry yeah go ahead oh no and i was gonna say one thing too is it's kind of hard to talk about like the roman military in a short period of time because it would be kind of like if if they asked somebody in the future like hey tell me about the uh, united states military and they, yeah. they might say like oh you know they were made up of minutemen and they had flintlock muskets, mm-hmm. and oh, they also had tanks and you know airplanes. Like, I mean, that's just a two hundred and fifty year period. Yeah, and and they changed quite a bit uh, in just you know one country. But like with the Romans, you know, you had you know a couple hundred years when they had the kings, and then you had a few hundred years of you know hundreds of years of the um, the Re- Roman Republic, and then you mm-hmm. had hundreds of years of the Roman Empire, and so it changed quite a bit over that time period oh, yeah. from from the very beginning to the very end yeah yeah absolutely and, yeah it's like i said this is just like this is just a general overview of yeah. uh how how it was um Charlie, you had mentioned too about the recruits i forgot to mention this as well they they recruited from everywhere so they've uh there was actually an archaeological dig they found uh near scotland and when they did DNA testing on the bones, they found um, there are several several guys from North Africa, some from uh, yeah, East Africa, uh, Persia, uh, Eastern Europe, all over the place. So it was quite a you, you could find quite a mixed uh, unit and and most of the, the armies when they were they were really at their peak. Wow. Man, that's yeah. interesting. And. Oh, and hey, do you guys mind if I just take a take a minute to talk about the like the the four phases of the Roman military from like the time of the kings down to like the beginning of the empire? That that cool with you guys? Or yeah, that, have, you know what? I actually, it. I was actually hoping you'd say that, Dave. Really? Yeah, okay, I, I'm I glad we're really like, well, man, so I hope Dave will go over the four phases. The four phase. Okay, so there was four phases. Uh, phase one. Uh, uh Romulus uh, founds Rome. And, you know, he was a king, and so that was basically the, uh, you know, run at your enemy, waving your sword while you're screaming phase. Um, <laughs> you know, there was no planning. It was just everybody runs. You know, you, 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 you know, have at it. Try not to die. Okay, I'm going to just, you, I want to just basically understand each phase. Phase one, do they have yes. the famous sword and shield that we know? That's the so fa- the famous mm-hmm. Roman sword shield. Do they have it? Phase one. No, the scutum and the gladius. They did not have that. Okay, so no. phase one, not interested, right? That's phase one, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, so phase two, you have the class reforms of Servius in the 500s BC, and they basically adopted the Greek phalanx. So, like, if you look at the Greek phalanx, like, that's what they were. What is a Greek? Or, are, is this a chance to just talk about a Greek phalanx? Take a minute to explain uh, that. We we could. Um, maybe, you know, it's, maybe define it's what sh- it is exactly. Yeah, big shields, long spears. 
Big shields, long spears. Deep, deep, deep yeah. rows of men. Yeah. So the idea was that, um, you know, have you, okay, let me put it this way. Like when you were kids, you and your brother, did you guys ever sword fight? Yeah. So like if one guy had like a slightly longer sword, mm-hmm. like he kind of had an advantage, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was kind of like that with the phalanx. So, like, hey, forget swords. Let's just use, like, really long pikes. And so they it started, like, depending on if it was, like, the Greeks or the Romans, they would have, like, these long pikes and big shields. And so the idea was if you have your pike out in front of you, you know, it hits the other guy before he can hit you with your spear or with his, uh, with his sword. Um, and they kind of took it to extremes with the Greek army. Um, like, uh, they, they, they had him out 16 feet and then... Alexander the Great came along, or actually his father, and he's like, hey, 16 feet works great. 21 feet might work even better, you know? Um, and so they would just, they would, you know, you'd have a big group of guys with, like, a ton of spears pointing forward, and you, you know, would try not to walk into them if you're the other guy. Um, the the so, walking and, uh, porcupine. Yeah, the yeah. walking porcupine. And Didn't I the, think we'll so talk a little bit. The Romans, yeah. they, they, they want, uh, further down the line, they have the thing called the the tortoise, but the but the Greeks have the porcupine. That's oh, kind of you jumped thing. ahead of me, Shiloh. I was oh, sorry, sorry. I didn't. I did But uh, so you're telling me <laughs> well, these, I, I, this is just I, a big old spike, spiky porcupine thing walking. Yeah, out yeah, there. yeah. And I think we'll talk about it a little bit more later. I, I don't want to steal all Mike's stuff. Uh, but then, okay, you have the Samnite Wars. Okay, uh, the Samnites lived in Samnium, and uh, then like they were, it was really hilly there. So and they had horses. So, like, if you have a big group of guys with long spears and you walk towards a hill, it doesn't really work. And so they kind of changed things to the mana pole system. And so it's been described as a phalanx with joints. And so instead of having, like, a single line, you had staggered deployment. So if you looked at it from up above, it looked like a bunch of group of soldiers, like a checkerboard. And they were made up into mana poles of about uh, 120 men. Um, you had three lines. The first line was the young guys. The second line was like the 20 to 40 year olds. The third line was like the super veterans. And so they kind of could, you know, if the first line got scared or they were losing, they would move back and the other guys would move forward. Um, they had rewards like a grass crown for saving a legion that worked for a while. Marion comes around. This is stage four Marius, uh, 100 BC. They have the uh, Marian reforms, and this is like what Mike's talking about, what you see for most of the Roman, like part of the Roman Republic, most of the Roman Empire. You have a full-time professional legion, um, and they took away property requirements. So, like, you didn't have to own land to be in the legion, so all the poor people joined. It was great. Uh, But, like, he really, like, he started physical training. Like, they had to carry 70-pound packs with them so they could carry all their stuff with them. Um, and they also started promoting from within, like a professional army. Because before, if you were just like, you know, a, uh, you know, not royalty, but like a prominent person. A, no- a noble. Uh, for, yeah, a noble person, you could get a position. I'm sorry, Mike, I might be taking your oh, stuff. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, but yeah, but so those are the four phases of the Roman army. And I will stop talking so, now. <laughs> just real quick to recap this so I get this right. So they have the run at you screaming crazy, no planning at all phase. Yeah. And then they they have the second phase. We we're gonna steal the Greeks idea phase. Yeah. And then third yeah. phase is we're gonna just change the Greek idea a little bit checkerboard style. Yeah, and that's when it's it turns into the legion. And okay, so you got checkerboard legions, and then from there we go into just the big block legion pro pro yeah, soldiers. He, okay. So he took like the small manipole, which was made up of two centuries, and he he would take three manipoles and he combined them into a cohort. 
So you were doing the same thing as you were doing with the mana poles, but with a bigger, bigger group, group of people. And I believe they took away the checkerboard formation, too. Okay, gotcha. So I think, possibly. So that, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. I got you four stages. That makes sense. I, I, so what's our next question, Dave? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. So, Mike, do you want to add anything to that? or? Uh, oh, yeah, well, that, that, was such, that was one of the points I was going to bring up, too, is uh, oh, yeah. how pragmatic they were, their ability to take on new concepts and ideas rather than just, you know, thinking, well, we won that one, so hope it keeps working. They they uh, they would analyze what they could have done better, and that was one of the examples he used right there was with the uh, Samites, um, also the Etruscans, who they, they t- stole a lot of their culture from as well. Um, but yeah, fight, fighting up in the hills made them realize the phalanx was not flexible enough. Uh, it wasn't going to work in general. That's why they switched systems. Wait, and what did they get from the Etruscans? They uh, the actually their early armor uh, and that that yeah. giant shield that everyone's familiar with, the big rectangular uh, shield, and then the the gladius, uh, the short sword that actually came from Spain. Wow! So Spain oh, wow. gets credit for that. You know, hey, real quick. So, so you from s- what you're telling me, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Shiloh. So just as you said, one thing that's kind of interesting is you said about the phalanx, it doesn't work good on the hills. Like how many people are we talking about in this big old block porcupine? Like how many guys are blocked in and walking together? Well, a legion, a legion is 5,000 troops. So, um, I mean, I, I personally haven't fought on a hill recently, but I can imagine trying to walk up a hill with yeah, a few thousand packed. guys and st- yeah, and staying in formation. That's going to be really yeah, hard. And the, the, the phalanx basically only worked if you had like thousands and thousands and thousands of guys. Yeah. And so you got, so let's say you got at least five, maybe, maybe even let's go double and go big, say 10, 10,000 guys trying yeah. to stay in that formation. And then you throw like a little hill in the middle and then they're all messed up basically. Yeah. And yeah. then you got, well, you got trees and rocks everywhere trees and, and rock. the okay. people they were fighting, um, at least in, in Spain in particular, they, they weren't interested in, in squaring up to him, so they were just trying to hit him from any anywhere, any angle they possibly could. So, so you they, could they be, had to be so you could have a real like you could be real vulnerable like on the sides or in the back, yep. pretty much. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, I kind of think that like the Romans, as far as like stealing other people's ideas, they were kind of like um, I don't know if you watch. Uh, I know Shiloh doesn't, but I don't know uh, you know, Star Trek, the the Borg. Because okay, so Shiloh, I know you you've never watched Star Trek, but uh, life, I mean, Mike, ever. do you know who the Borg the Borg were in oh, Star Trek? Oh yes. Yeah, like, but their whole thing was they assimilated other cultures. Yeah, and that was kind of like what the Romans did. Like they like they would you know they'd fight like the Etruscans and they'd be like, hey, that we lost because they have a big shield. Let's get a big shield. Or like, oh, the Spain the Spanish they have like a really good steel sword. Let's 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 steal their idea. And they would kind of assimilate all the cultures around them. And then they would also absorb those people into their military too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like if, if, if they had a good ho- horseman, they'd be like, Hey, you know, we just beat you guys. And part of the deal is you have to send your horseman and you're going to fight with us. Yeah. That's, so, that's exactly what they did. That's why the Legion was so uh, diverse and uh, had people, you know, pe- different uh, uh, military units uh, all over. They even recruited uh, archers from uh, Crete as far as Crete. Because apparently they were very good at hunting rabbits on cliffsides, so it made them exceptional oh, wow. shots. Yeah, they were probably a lot better than the Roman uh, archers that they had. So they they got rid of those scrubs real quick, brought those guys yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard the word scrub in a while. That's nice. I didn't even know that was still a thing, but I guess it is. Um, uh, yeah. In some parts of the country. 
Okay, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so if Florida was a Roman province, what province would it be and why? It, it would be the craziest <laughs> province um, <laughs> that people like to go to for vacation, but don't want to say they're permanently necessarily. So I'm going to have to say Pompeii. <laughs> and every once in a while there's a natural disaster <laughs> something's always trying to wipe us out wow. <laughs> if it's not corona it's the hurricanes yeah wow. i'm sorry i shouldn't have taken it there we we didn't tell you we were going to ask you that question um <laughs> hey so what was the purpose behind the equipment used by the legionnaires uh so yeah so the gladius that like i said that was the that was the main weapon it was just a short two-foot sword and they train them mostly to stab people, so not these uh, these big, long, sweeping strokes that people see in movies that look cool. Uh, in reality, it was just this little guy hiding behind a large shield and poking his <laughs> sword out and jabbing people uh, when they got. Close. I heard that one of the one of the tribes they fought referred to them as long knives. Yeah, yeah, long knives. Yeah, that was probably more of an insult, but it wasn't so funny once they lost. Yeah, Man, yeah. Okay. Um, so that, that was the primary weapon, and then they also had um, a shorter uh, knife, the, the, the Pugio, about 7 to 11 inches long. And uh-huh. um, they did carry a spear, but it was more like a javelin called the pylum. That was about 6.5 feet long, and it had, what was interesting about it is it had this lead core to it. So when they would throw it, uh, normally when you, you know, imagine a spear or a javelin getting thrown at a shield, it sticks to the shield. And uh, it's just perfectly upright. It's not, you know, it, the shield bear can still move around with it. But this one, because of that flexible lead core, would bend and point towards the ground. So if you have a shield and you have the thing stuck in there and you're trying to move, you're going to be dragging it along. So the whole point of that was to get them to drop the shield. And then once they drop the shield, then they would throw a second volley. So if you don't have very good armor, or you're not wearing any armor at all, which was the case a lot of times, your shield's gone, and now you have to deal with a second javelin being throw, uh, thrown at you. So, yeah, it was a pretty smart uh, smart thing to do. Uh, you didn't see too many other uh, people doing around them. So, and I was... This this is like cutting-edge stuff, right? We're talking like, this is that what, what uh, Mike was just saying about the, the core being able to break when it hits on impact. That's like cutting-edge oh, stuff. Or bend. Or bend, right? So this is like top tech right here. All the other armies are like, man, you've seen those guys' spears? Oh, man, look what they do. They, that was probably like pretty amazing stuff at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what distinguished them. I mean, we're, we've, we've talked about you know, the organization, the army, and things like that, professional soldiers. But yeah, technology is a big thing. And that's what you see throughout history a lot of times. It's not necessarily that someone was braver or... Uh, they had more troops. Technology is what really uh, drives the army forward, and they were they were using tactics and weapons that people hadn't seen before, and they couldn't replicate it. So, uh, and yeah, go one, ahead. One thing I was reading too about the 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 bilum is that um it also was a one time use uh tool mm-hmm. or a weapon. So like what happened before that, like if you threw a spear at the the enemy and you missed. Uh, it's like, hey, free spear. You know, you, they would throw it back at you. <laughs> yeah. But like, let let's say like worst case scenario, you're you're you know you're the Roman guy. You're you're bad at throwing, and like you <laughs> miss, and it hits the ground. It bends. Yep. And so like, there's nothing you can't pull it back and throw it until you know afterwards they would like bang it into shape again. 
but they they couldn't uh like hurt you i mean throw it back at you and one thing i was kind of uh, reading too about the swords is the um the metal they used was actually they called it blister steel and so it was kind of like an early steel you know steel is iron and carbon but they couldn't really get the carbon content right they didn't really figure that out until centuries later but so they said like they would you know make a sword and then the only way you would know if it worked was when you hit it against something so like you know back then it was it happened a lot of times like people would go into battle they'd hit their sword against the other guy's sword and it would shatter mm-hmm. or it would bend because the if the carbon content was too high or too low but you didn't really know like until you used it and a lot of times like through trial and error the better swords were kind of for the guys who were higher up you know like the centurions and the generals and stuff like that yeah no that but, that makes uh complete sense i mean that would have well, been a... and I... oh god Oh, yeah, and I was wondering, too, like, so, like, you know, they had their shield or, or their, their sword and their pilum. Like, what about, like, their shield and their, their helmets and, like, their their feet, their their shoes and stuff like that? Like, how, yeah. how is that better? Yeah, so, yeah, their, their sandals are pretty interesting, too. Um, and now you're reminding me of your socks and sandals joke. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody got it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Shiloh, I, I, I had thought the same thing, but the difference was I, I never tried to make the joke because I figured – it would just die completely, but I'm glad Dave went for it. Well, I'm sure in, in Florida, nobody wears socks with sandals. Do they, do they do that in Florida ever? Or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah it's not it's unusual. Universal. It's, it's universally liked and loathed at the yes. same time. <laughs> Unless you're a Roman legionnaire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. not until the third, second century? Third, third century. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, well, yeah, the sandals they had um, were pretty cool. Like if you if you flip them uh, over and look underneath, it's almost like looking at a like a soccer cleat or uh, some football really? cleats. Yeah, they just they nailed on. Uh, they were like they call them iron tacks. Um, they could be rounded, could be squared, but yeah, I mean, that gave you a ton of extra traction. You know, just like, little things like that were, were pretty um, brilliant ideas. Um, the shield too, the the scutum. <clears throat> it, it's interesting that. It, the best comparison I, I can make to it is like it was also it doubled as a a dog tag. They actually wrote the soldier's name uh, on the back oh, of the wow. shield. Yeah, and the front of it, uh, each one was unique. That way, you knew which uh, cohort you were in, just in case you know if you're in the thick of battle, people get split up and they're they're confused where they're uh, where they're supposed to be. They can just quickly look at their shields and realize, oh, okay, that's that's the third cohort. Um, I'm in the second one. So let me find those guys. So that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had no idea. That's really awesome. Yeah. And then uh, their armor. The uh, the most famous one, I think, that comes to mind for everybody was called the Lorica Segmentada. So that's uh, it's a cuirass or a breastplate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were trying to figure out how that was pronounced before we started because I didn't want to say it wrong because... I said it wrong earlier, and it didn't sound good. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, that, yeah, that author. Uh, well, because we were talking, like, the Greeks, um, they used bronze and linen. And because, like, I mean, lin- you know, you think of, like, a linen suit, mm-hmm. like, you know, having linen armor. Like, linen suit, like, it's, like, like nice and breezy. You know, you wouldn't really want to be, like, out there in a linen suit, you know. Uh, but, like, they would glue a bunch of linen together, mm-hmm. the Greeks, and it would be, like, a, a breastplate. Um, and then, like, the guys that were higher ranking would get bronze. But apparently, like, they've done tests on it and stuff, like a linen cuirass. Uh, cuirass cur- How do you say it again? Cuirass. Okay. <laughs> uh, cur- c- 
her. I don't want to say it again, but like they, they've they've shown that it could stop arrows and stuff like that. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, they actually they the, did a they did a test on. Um, they saw paintings in Japan of the samurai uh, on horseback with these like capes behind them, these really long capes, and they couldn't. They, yeah. they thought maybe it was a stylistic thing, but they found a few uh, writings that said it wasn't for style. It actually could stop arrows. So they wanted to test it out, and when they yeah. ran the test, they found that. Um, because of the way it disrupts the air, when the, uh-huh. when arrows would be fired, they could actually catch them instead of uh, yeah instead of penetrating through. It was pretty pretty cool to see. But yeah, linen. If you pack it in, uh, all you're doing is just forming layers. And a lot of times, anyways, when they wore uh, bronze um, a breastplate or any type of armor, they always had cloth or something underneath it for for padding because that that metal is just to to really to try and stop it, uh, slow it down. But the padding is what helps absorb the the shock of it, and the layers uh, really add even more stopping power to it. So it's a combination of things. Oh wow! Wow, that is cool, interesting. Man. So yeah, and I was oh go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go 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 ahead. So yeah, the the Lorca Lorca segmentata. So that's the one everyone sees. It's got the metal plates, the shiny metal plates overlapping all of, uh, each other. Um, they use that for a while because it did offer better protection, but it costs a lot more as well. So in the end, they ended up actually reverting back to what's called the Lorca Hamata, which was just uh, chain mail, because it was cheaper, their protection level was, was uh, similar, and it was a lot easier to, uh, to maintain it. That the, the segmented stuff was, was pretty hard to, to take care of. You you were talking about um, being expensive. What, were these guys having to pay for their own equipment? Did I mean like you say we want to join the army and you're gonna buy your own stuff, or how did they get the like how did they pay to get those things? Yeah, well because because of how professional the army was, they they mass produced stuff, and that, that actually became an issue at one point apparently because they were mass producing it uh, like a, a third world country a factory, you know, just just get it out, and it was. Um, they were have they found defects in them. There, there was one particular uh, I, c- I can't remember. It was a siege, but they had they had poorly made helmets, and they found out during the siege because they were the men were getting wounded in ways they hadn't seen before. The helmets were failing uh, in ways they weren't expecting. So, yeah, you would see things like that um, happen. But yeah, typically the army would all that stuff was provided. Now, if you became, you know, if you got elevated to Centurion, obviously you're going to get more money. And there are some Centurions who would um, completely ditch the Roman armor and wear Greek armor to try and look a lot cool. You know, like, oh, I'm Alexander the Great or trying to be (laughs) like him or something like that. So, yeah. And I think in the, uh, like, just because they were a country for so long, like it was, I mean, how many years was, was was Rome like between like the Republic era, like the kings and the Republic and the Empire? Was it wasn't it like a thousand years or? Oh yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You, well, you guys talked about the Eastern and Roman and Western Empire. Yeah, it, it depends on when you start and end. But yeah. I mean, I I think depending too on when you looked in history, they may have done it a little differently. Like I think in the early um, the Republic days, they had to pay for it themselves, and so only rich people were in the military. Yeah. And then with the Marian reforms, uh, poor people could join too. Mm-hmm. But you kind of had to be rich, and so like if you didn't have enough money, like your armor wouldn't be as good. And like sometimes it's like, hey, I want to be a centurion, but you don't have enough money for all the stuff a centurion has, and you couldn't be a centurion. Yeah, uh, and that was, then later that was on, the case like, with the cavalry too. Uh, in the, the early period, the cavalry only uh, wealthy people were in the cavalry because yeah, that, that was the, even more expensive. 
Yeah, the equites or equites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then later they just got kind of farmed it out <laughs> yeah. to uh, other people. You know, they subcontracted it um, <laughs> to. <laughs> I, I forget. That's, which, that's, which that's a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah, that's that's basically what they did. I was going to mention something about the sh- the shield. I don't know if you've, I mean, uh, noticed this, but the scutum mm-hmm. was was pretty interesting. Like just to show you how good of a shield it was. If you look at the shields of modern day riot police. Um, like 2,000 years later, they're almost identical. Yeah. Like rectangular, all, same shape, size. And like I noticed too, they even have a metal band around the edge today, just like they did to stop a sword. Yeah. And uh, back then they also had a metal boss in the middle that they held onto it that kind of curved out and it doubled as like a punching glove yeah. uh, or like a boxing. Well, if you had a boxing glove that was metal, that that's what it would be. But it weighed 22 pounds. So you had to be kind of strong because like 22 pounds isn't that much. But if you hold it out in front of you for like a long time, it gets pretty heavy. Well, I mean, not for you, Shiloh, but um, what? <laughs> not for a beast like Shiloh. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's interesting, man. It's metal punching glove. It was like the early form of brass knuckles out there. Yeah, and um, man, I is this a good time? Man, I I, I kind of want to talk about the difference between Roman and Greek uh, equipment. Yeah, well, yeah. actually, before before you do, let's let's talk real quick about uh, Shiloh's favorite animal, the the tortoise. Because you're talking about shields. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah so what is it? What is a tortoise? Yeah, so the, like did oh go ahead. Did they use their shells or something? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah, so that, that was one of the tactics they used, uh, the testudo or, or the, the tortoise. And there's actually uh, two of your favorite emperors, uh, Dave, uh, have depictions oh, of yes. it uh, on Trajan's column. And Marcus uh-huh. Aurelius has one as well, and it shows the, the legions using the testudo in uh, sieges. So what, what you have is the first rank, um, they hold the shields. Um, they hold the shields up to eye level which leaves their legs partially exposed, but not too much. And then this, the second row behind them, they placed their shield on top of it. They rest it on top of the, the first rank's um, shield. So basically all you have is this little slit, and the guy in the first row, all you can see his eye, is his eyes coming towards you with a, a shield over his body and then one over top of his head. And the third and fourth rows and, and onwards, they can completely cover themselves up to, to the point that it looks like it's just a giant... Um, red shield or red tortoise shell walking towards uh, the enemy. And uh, according to uh, one historian, he said that they actually, it was uh, it was strong enough that they could actually have people walk across it. And Oh, wow. Yeah. And some of the more, um, I guess you could say outlandish claims were that they could drive a cart across it. I'd, I'd like to see that, but hey, you, you never know. People can do some crazy <laughs> things in extreme situations. So Yeah. Yeah, Man. it's pretty cool, pretty cool formation that uh, um, they used it. They used it uh, throughout their history, then, but also other nations after them copied it as well to use it to protect themselves. It's mostly just against when you're getting shot at with with arrows. Well, you know, speaking of cars and tortoises, Shiloh, did, wasn't your old car? Didn't didn't we call that the Tortuga? That's right. That was the tortoise. <laughs> It was green yeah. colored, and it was a station wagon. We traveled for many years and many miles in that green tortoise. Yeah, the old I wish it would have been shaped like Highway a of shield. Death. Yeah, yeah. I wish Highway thing, eighty across Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, man! I wish we could have had that thing decked out with like a 
uh, metal fist in the front of it and, you know, had some <laughs> Roman influence, had some scutums and some, <laughs> some gladiuses and some, some pilas and some, uh, what was that thing that, uh, Caras, Caras. <laughs> well, that was a Greek thing. Well, I mean, I, well, yeah, I think it's just, just means yeah, it just means breastplate. But yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, but um, I was just I think we were going to talk a little about the third century army, but before we did that, mm-hmm. I was going to uh, talk a little bit about the difference between the Greek phalanx and the legion. Yeah. Um, so there's a book I read called uh, Legion versus Phalanx by uh, Mike Cole. I listened to it on Audible, but it, it was pretty interesting because you wonder, like, the Greeks were, like, the dominant world power. Like, Alexander the Great uh, took over, you know, you know, kind of everything back then. Um, but, like, how did how did the Romans become the dominant uh, military force back then? You know, which, you know, they were the Phalanx, the Greeks, and, the and you know, how did the legions ba- beat them later on? But there was a few differences with their equipment, um, like the helmets, if you look at a, uh, a Greek helmet, it completely covered their ears and like a good chunk of their face. Um, but they kind of didn't really need to hear, if that makes sense, because phalanxes only moved forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason for that was like we mentioned, they, they were like a porcupine. You have these guys with these 20 foot long pikes. And so the first five rows are all pointing forward. And so like if you try to attack that head on, you know, you're going to hit a, a row of points. And then if you get past that row, three feet later, you got another row. And three feet later, you got another row. And so from head on, they were kind of really difficult to beat. But then, you know, the next few rows after that, they would kind of be up at a 45-degree angle. And then after that, they'd be straight up. So it looked just like a porcupine. Um, so since you're only moving forward, it doesn't really matter if you can't hear as much. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And they had, yeah, but the problem was... Uh, I mean, it was like a freight train. You know, you can go one direction, and if you get in front of it, you're you're dead. But if you could just go around to the side, there was kind of nothing you could do, because you know you can't have thousands of guys turn all at the same time, especially if they can't hear each other, because they would all get tangled up. So that was kind of like one of the reasons that uh, they could, the Romans were able to beat the Greek phalanx, is they couldn't turn left, or as the great Derek Zoolander once said, they weren't. Amney Turners. <laughs> um, Actually, I just thought of a good comparison then. So, if you have the phalanx um, can only go forward. Oh, if you'll excuse me for a second, Shiloh, please continue. <laughs> and Mike. Yeah, no problem. So, the phalanx only goes forward in one direction, and the Roman Legion is known for being maneuverable. I guess you could say the Greeks were NASCAR, and the Romans were Formula One. Oh wow, man! I like that NASCAR versus Formula One. You got some, yeah, wow, that's Ouch. pretty cool. So, yeah. good comparison there. So, tell us, man, about uh, the third century, though. Like we we had talked about the third century in the last episode, and we said, hey, man, it'd be fun to interview Mike. So, what is about what what's going on with the Roman army in the third century? Yeah, so so basically, leading up to the the Roman army was. Um, just a big juggernaut that constantly was moving forward and they relied on heavy infantry and then they had auxiliaries to fill whatever roles that the heavy infantry couldn't do. But by the third century, um, they actually had to basically, uh, tone themselves down. So the, the heavy infantry wasn't working anymore because a lot of the enemies they were fighting were actually on horseback. Now, um, Parthia, um, the, uh, I hate saying the same, the Scythians, the Scythians, whatever they're called. Right, um, I'm not good at that, yeah. So they, they basically, they became um, 
like rapid response teams. So they had to dress more like, uh, or they had to arm themselves more like an auxiliary. So, so lightweight, um, chain mail, smaller shield, uh, spears, because you got to fight cavalry. Um, and uh, they uh, also expanded their cavalry like, uh, like never before, especially the Eastern Roman Empire, because that's pretty much all they were coming up against was uh, people on a horseback. And the recruiting, too, because by that point, the... Uh, actual Italian-born uh, Roman citizens uh, weren't quite as, as large. The population was as, as large as what the rest of the empire held. So some uh, writers of that time were saying that the, the army wasn't even Roman anymore. Uh, yeah, they, they would talk about, oh, there's, this, this one's full of Germans, that one's full of mm. uh, North Africans, uh, even Egyptians, and so on. So, um, yeah, it was, it was quite a diverse group, though, um, as you can imagine. If you yeah. since you're pulling for so many parts of the empire, and it seems like they they had quite a few different um, uh, f- characters they were fighting. You know, we talked about Zenobia and and Aurelian coming to fight against her, and like, it sounds like like what you said is important to be able to have speed using the cavalry like they did. So that now, you know, everyone thinks about the Roman army. They got that idea of the legion, the legion mm-hmm. marching and the red shield and all that stuff like that. By the third century, it's starting to change pretty drastically. It's starting on that, down that road of using more cavalry, and that's where we kind of start to see a change. You think maybe around there? Yeah, yeah. The it, it all coincided with the the gradual decline of the empire. So I'm sure you know you guys you guys know it wasn't it wasn't like a specific day where Rome just fell. It <laughs> it, it took a while, but yeah, it was just, it was funny because they they always. Uh, you know, they were always so condescending towards these other, uh, these other cultures and nations. Yet their military actually ended up looking kind of similar to the, the same people who had been attacking them, like the, the Vandals, uh, the, yeah. the Goths. Uh, they started to equip themselves like that, and also that's who they were recruiting from as well. So right, it kind yeah. of just goes so, it went hand in hand. So it's starting to change. Yeah, like you said, that's an interesting point to realize. Like it isn't just Italians fighting. Uh, and you think about how quick that changed in the course of, a, well, not super quick, but in the course of a few hundred years, it went from mostly Italians to now, like you said, you got Goths and Germans filling the ranks. People think that that probably caused some problems for the empire in, in the eventual fall. But so, Dave, we just finished up talking about the uh, the state of the Roman army in the third century. What do you want us to say to wrap this up, Davey? Oh, I, I didn't want to wrap it up. I had a bunch of things <laughs> I wanted to talk about. Oh, I'm I'm so sorry. Well, I, rewind. So I I'm sorry for for the our listeners at home. I had to take a short break, but I'm back. <laughs> and so to describe why the phalanx was beat by the legion, uh, I think you know sometimes you have a microcosm. What is it like? One story can tell a bigger story. Um, so you know, <sighs> during the days of Alexander the Great, who had you know the phalanxes. Uh, two of his soldiers got into a fight. It was a, uh, a a Greek phalanx and then one of their allies. And so they're like, okay, you know, let's let's go, let's take this outside, let's fight. And so the the, the allied soldiers like, yeah, let's do it. And so that you know, the Greek phalanx he shows up full full gear. He has a helmet on. He's got his cuirass. He's got all his armor. He's got a spear. He's got a pike. He's got a sword. And the other guy uh, shows up, and he is—he's um, not wearing very much clothing. 
um, and he's oiled up like a, a Greek he's not, wrestler. He's not wearing very much clothes. Yes. Is he wearing any clothes? Uh, he was not wearing clothes. Um, oh, so not even a, not even a loincloth. He he uh no so he he was this guy he's oiled up he's naked and he's got a club, I mean and so right off the bat like if you're ever gonna fight somebody and he shows up, naked and oiled with a club just call it like he won he I mean if you can do that like he won all right you know, <laughs> but so um anyways I mean it was almost like the guy unknowingly signed up for a greased pig competition, where the pig has. A club, um, wow! And uh, fighting a greased pig with a club. Yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, I don't know if either of you guys have ever, you know, tried to catch a greased pig before, Shiloh. Yeah. Um, why do? You, yeah. Why you got to be like? I don't know if either of you guys have ever done it, Shiloh. <laughs> well, no. I mean, have you? Oh man, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah, I've chased some greased pigs with clubs. <laughs> I used to, man. How, I tell you what. How did that happen? I, I'd rather not talk about it, Dave. <laughs> Okay, so anyways, but um, the the guy, you know, so you know this 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 phalanx guy, he he chucks his spear at him, and you know, grease naked guy with a club kind of do- dodges it. Then he's got his long twenty foot long pike. He kind of knocks it aside, gets past him, and then like before the guy can draw his sword, you know, he just like grabs his hand and knocks him to the ground and like stands over him with the club, um, and is like, hey, I win. And he didn't even hurt him. He just knocked him to the ground. And so the guy was like, okay, you win, I give up. But that kind of just shows how somebody like the Romans with a short two-foot sword could beat the Greek phalanxes with their really long 20-foot uh, uh, pike. You know, all they had to do was basically get around them, and there was nothing that they could do. Uh, you know, they weren't amni-turners. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the... While while Why? you were while you were away, uh, Mike gave a real good example of like the maneuverability of like the phalanx being like NASCAR and uh, the Roman legions being more like Formula One, very maneuverable, very fast. Oh wow! I Which is bigger in Italy? You're describing it as 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 like a um, a big giant uh, six foot slightly uh overweight guy like me trying to chase a grease pig so that's i that one really hits home right there yeah and pretty much and so the phalanx too because they could only go one direction it only worked if your line could be longer than their line and it only worked if like so you know you have your your arm you know your your army lined up against their army if if the phalanx is shorter you just go around them so they had to have a ton of guys because you wanted to be long enough and deep enough so the phalanx kind of only worked unless uh, if you had like sixteen thousand or more guys but the roman soldier worked in small groups or even by themselves mm-hmm. um and so that was kind of one of the reasons that they they were able to with a few exceptions like for example if you have the battle of thermopylae uh, or the hot gates where you have 300 Spartans versus a million man Persian army. Um, like the only reason it worked is because they had, you know, cliffs on either side. They were able to beat them um, by just kind of standing there going one direction. 300 Spartans really... with 5,000 Greek allies. There was other people there? Absolutely. That, that, that could be a whole well, other podcast. <laughs> but why do they call it the sand of the 300, not the 5,300? Uh, because it, Dude, sound, it you, sounds sexier, you know, 300 uh, greased up men. 
Were they Greece too? <laughs> oh my, what is it with the Greek people in Greece? Like that's, oh, Greece, huh? <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's where they got the name. Just thought of that. Um, this is why we have to mute my microphone. I'm sorry. Hey, and there was another thing I wanted to talk about too. I, unless you guys, I, I'm sorry. I took a break and now I can't stop talking. Uh, I was, was going to add, so add one point there real quick. We, you were talking about the phalanx lines. Uh, yeah. The, the battle of Gaugamela between uh, Alexander and uh, Darius. His lines were, were over two miles long, which is just, that's, to me, that's insane. Can't imagine a wow. battle line that long. So, I mean, just walking two miles with that armor on would be kind of rough yeah imagine trying to pass orders on yeah wow that's amazing hey and so i i was just gonna mention too um i wanted to talk a little bit about centurions yeah and because i mean most people here like i remember when i was a kid learning about like cornelius Mm -hmm. uh, of biblical fame like he he was a centurion um and so i did a little research on centurions and to understand like kind of a little bit about centurions, it kind of is is important to understand why they had a block of soldiers in the first place. You know, because like if you have, you know, two armies facing off each other, it kind of seems like the first line is the only one that's going to encounter the other, you know, first line. Where Why is there like 20 guys behind them or 10 guys behind them? Um, and to understand it, like part of it has to do with psychology. So uh, if if you think about it, like if you were walking down the street in, I don't know, like, Kingston, or not Kingston, or like maybe the bad part of Newburgh, uh, Shiloh, or you know maybe all the, some... all the listeners out there are going uh, Kingston, Newburgh. Uh, uh, they... Just we'll just say not not the some of those streets might not be the streets you want to be walking down on a dark night. Yeah. Okay. Or you know some part of Florida or Texas, but um, any part of Florida. You know you yeah, and like let's say you see a guy coming. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you see a guy coming at you with a knife, like Mike slash Shiloh. What do you do? A run. Okay. Um, How about you, Mike? Ask him if he need, he needs butter or something. Maybe I don't. I don't. Why else would he? <laughs> it's, if it's Florida, you never know what they what they really want. Yeah, you know, but uh, re- man, that okay. So. That, you know that's what most people do if somebody comes at you with a knife or a sword you turn around and run that's what human nature is and so it's horrible as it sounds back then the reason those armies were so deep is because you know if you have a bunch of guys behind you you can't turn around and run um and so if you think about it like you have a line everybody has their sword in their right hand and their shield in their left hand so if you have like a block of soldiers like a, a century um, which was, uh, you'd think it would be like 100 guys, but it was usually less. Like, it was usually like around 60. Uh, I say century because like a century is 100 years, and a century back then, you'd think it would be 100, but it was more like 60. But you have your front line. Everybody has a shield in their left hand, a sword in their right hand. So everybody has the guy to their left, has a shield protecting them. Um, and, I mean, they're protecting themselves with a shield on their left, and the guy to their right is protecting them with a shield. Everybody except for the guy in the front right corner uh, because there's nobody on the right-hand side of him. So the most dangerous part of an army was the front right corner. And so, uh, Shiloh or Mike, if you were the Centurion and you've got 60 guys, who would you put in the front right corner? Wow, that's a good question. Because if I'm the centurion and I get to make that call, I'd I'd be put, I'd be putting the guy that's kind of on my um my trouble list over there. 
<laughs> yeah. I would, uh, well, the Satyrian had a, beneath him an Optio. I'd probably go for someone like that, someone who's disciplined, um, understands why the why the unit's designed that way and what, what needs to be done. But I'm not really sure yeah. what, what it actually was, Dave. Yeah, okay. So anyways, the guy on the front right corner, it was the actual Centurion. Oh, okay. So the, the guy in the most dangerous position was actually the Centurion. Uh, Julius Caesar said that Centurions had a 700% higher mortality rate than the common soldier. They were seven times more likely to die. Uh, they also got 15 times the pay, so that's a plus. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they were, and they also, they carried a thing called a vine rod, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's, you know, it's a chunk of vine that you would use to beat your own men. <laughs> so, like, if somebody was out of line, you'd beat them with, and, but, like, for the Romans, that was, if you were a citizen, you kind of took that with pride, like, hey, I got beat with a vine rod. Because if you weren't a citizen, it would be much worse. Like, you could be scourged, you know, like, with whips and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, and also like if you look at their little feather hat that they had, um, most guys went forward front to back and theirs went side to side. Mm -hmm. So kind of distinguished them. I'm glad you, you um, mentioned that vine staff because I, I can't think of any show or movie I've seen with, with involving Rome where they actually show the centurions carrying that around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but that's what they would use to, uh, to kind of like, you know, beat people into submission, uh, if they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Um, all right. So Shiloh um, and Mike, was there was there anything else we wanted to uh, cover there, talking about uh, legions? Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Speaking of discipline too, did you uh, did you look up anything about decimation? Oh yes, and it is horrible. <laughs> um, yeah. And it comes from the Latin word decim, which means ten. It's also where we get the word uh, December. Uh, believe it or not, because December used to be the it was the tenth month in the the Roman year. Oh, okay. Um, so decim. Nice. Yeah, but do, do you want to explain what decimation is? Because like now, like now, decimation it means like you get completely wiped out. Mm -hmm. Like if something's decimated, like my fridge is decimated. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I mean, what did it mean back then, Mike? Yeah. So it was that was a punishment on any unit. Um, for whatever reason, usually it might have been they they showed cowardice or they uh, ran away during a a battle. So they would take, uh, they'd break them down into groups of 10. They would draw uh, lots and whoever, um, whoever got the short end of the stick was the one that had to be killed by the other nine. So it was a way of self-disciplining uh, the units or the legions. And that would definitely dissuade you from uh, being cowardly the next time you were out. Yeah, they were rough. And I, I was reading like that was one of the things that differentiated the Roman army from other armies is they were extremely strict on discipline. Like if you fell asleep when you were a sentry, uh, the, the uh, it was death. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the punishment. Uh, but they were also like had a lot of awards. So, that, I mean, they did the carrot and the stick. Uh, you know, they did a lot of reward or awards for them but they also did a lot of uh punishment too like they said they were so disciplined like they would go like fight other armies and they would be like like screaming and like doing battle cries and the romans would just stand there completely silent <laughs> like while the other guys were like losing it uh so it was kind of nuts yeah yeah right. that, that, hey that and contrast, uh, that's the good contrast the professionals versus the the warriors the professionals are like well i have a job to do if we're just gonna simply kill you Whereas the warriors were yeah. more out there like, well, I want to kill you, but you know, I've got to do it with a certain style and it has to look cool. 
And oh, and I was going to ask you too, Mike. Uh, do you know? Uh, would you like to share anything about like what was a Roman standard? Roman standard. I just, honestly, I don't know that much about standards. Well, standards were interesting. I mean, uh, not like you know standards like right and wrong, but they every uh, unit had its own standard. So it was like a pole with a thing on the top. Like it might be an eagle mm. uh, for a legion. But it would tell you, like, you had a standard for the Legion, you had a standard for the smaller cohort, and you even had each century had a standard. And one guy was the standard bearer who would carry the pole. And uh, it was interesting. It was kind of like a flag on steroids. So they worshipped the standards. And actually the Roman soldiers back then were taught that they should worship their standard more than any other god. Mm. And it was such a big deal that there was a couple times, like, for example, the Battle of uh, Pydna, where they were losing, and the centurion threw the standard into the enemy army, and which, because if you lose your standard, it was like a really big deal. I mean, he was basically paying a deadly game of fetch with the soldiers, because like they had to go get it back. Uh, Julius Caesar did the same thing. Like his soldiers didn't want to get off the boat when the in, they were invading Britain, uh, uh, so yeah. they threw the standard into the ocean. Like it was nuts. But um, did you know that standards still exist today? In the modern-day military? No, not the modern-day military. It's interesting. So the um, uh, the standards, uh, they they were worshipped by the army. And then um, whenever the... the We're going to get into it in the 4th century or in our next episode, but whenever the Romans uh, started to um, uh, change into Christianity, a lot of the stuff from Roman religion converted into Christianity. But one of the things was standards because they all... all already worshipped them so later they changed it so the standards had a cross on the top and if you uh if you just google uh catholic mass procession mm. the uh if you look at it the guy in front has a long pole yeah. with a cross on the top and if you're wondering why are they carrying it on a long pole it's because that's what the standard morphed into wow uh, later on so it still exists today in catholic mass but it's a cross instead of an eagle that that makes a lot more sense now. I've never understood why that it was carried around like that. Yeah, so that hey, that's why it's on a pole. Hmm. So yeah, all right, wow. there you go. So uh, Shiloh, you uh, you have any uh, words of wisdom or, or Mike to to take us out of here? Man, that was fascinating. I was just enjoying listening to you guys tell all these interesting stories about. Uh, uh, you know, everything from, I think if anyone listening, they're going to find a lot of information here and in, in everything from how the Roman armies worked to decimation and where standards are today. And I, I had one more question. So what ways would you say, Mike, that uh, Roman history and Greek history uh, has influenced and inspired the Star Wars universe? <laughs> <laughs> We didn't tell you I was going to ask you that oh, question. Oh, no, you, you caught me off guard on that one. Uh, well, I, I can't really make any Jedi comparisons. I guess uh, you could call <laughs> <laughs> you, you could call the, uh, the, the Old Republic uh, the Greek uh, Empire. Yeah, good, good start, but not, not quite there. And then uh, you could call the Imperial Empire uh, the Roman Empire. Standardization and maybe a slight watering down of the quality, but hey. Those tactics and overwhelming firepowers can't stop that. And uh, is it, so is Julius Caesar the emperor and Darth Vader is Brutus? <laughs> uh, 
I think Julius Caesar has a little more charisma probably than Well, you the said Emperor. Julius yeah. Caesar is um you said Julius Caesar is the emperor, right? Uh yes. Wouldn't that Mark Anthony would be his uh his um Darth Vader? Wasn't he the because, the, well, Brutus, Brutus, the one that was horrible? Brutus betrayed him though. Oh, that's true, because Darth Vader yeah. did betray him. That's I, right. Yeah, I, I actually seen found Star Wars in a long time. Man, I found a pretty interesting article. It was saying that like George Lucas used a lot of Greek and Roman history, like in in writing a lot of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even the in a in Empire Strikes Back, like the Battle of Hoth was based af- off of a real Roman battle with elephants, where they rode around the elephants with ropes to uh, like you know trip them up wow. and stuff like that. So was that against Carthage kinda... or um, Parthia? You know, I I. I remember learning about this a long time ago, and when I tried to find it before we recorded this episode, I couldn't find it, so maybe I made it up. <laughs> uh, but it probably happened. As, as Shiloh said, the, the accuracy of this show is... Uh, what's the accuracy of our uh, podcast, Shiloh? Oh, it's really high, but I suggest listening to it. <laughs> I suggest casually listening, so that just in case we say something that isn't exactly correct, you, you probably won't remember it. Yeah, when yeah. it comes to fact-checking, we're probably about Fox News level right now. <laughs> well maybe i okay we should just edit out my track for this episode i'm sorry i've gone off on yeah too much um well uh thanks, i Dave. guess thanks mike <laughs> we appreciate you joining us for the episode mike this was fun yeah, man. this has been a lot of fun thank you guys excellent job dave excellent job mike <laughs> all righty this is us signing off